greetings to everyone here and there. Nelson's comment about how long we've been hearing this message triggered a thought in my head. Uh, I think it's this weekend to the day. It's been 10 years since this message has been going out. Uh, Marla might have to check me on that, but I think in CGG I spoke every third week of the month, which is what this is. The knowledge began coming in January of uh, of, uh, 96, and uh, the first sermon in the book of Haggai, I think, was the third week of February in 1996. So ten years we've been at this. See, I've had to listen to it longer than you have. We had an announcement the last couple of weeks about Western Night, and I thought since Western Europe is the wave of the future, it was probably an introduction to that. But as I look around the hall and see boots and hay and saddles and stuff, I think it must have been Western America. First, for us here, every day is Western Day, isn't it? Seven o'clock. I understand there's a fine meal and some games and some singing, and and uh, sounds like a good time. So I'll see you at seven. Uh, this week, already again so soon, new moon on Tuesday night, and the weeks and the months are flying by. It just well, I guess that's good. We're getting closer and closer to some things happening. But since it's on Tuesday evening at 7, I think I'll combine the Wednesday uh, meeting that we've started to have with it. Uh, we shouldn't have ne- need nearly so extensive a meeting uh, this week as we did last week. We had quite a few things that needed to be covered. But we'll have some updates on assignments and maybe some more things to offer, but Instead of having meetings two nights in a row, let's do it Tuesday at 7 uh, in combination with New Moon Night. And then uh, we'll have Wednesday free. I think that's about it on announcements. Well, last week we went through several chapters in Jeremiah, ending up in, at the end of 38. And... It was a story of Jeremiah's persecution, essentially, and going to prison, let down into the dungeon, and various things, because people would not accept the message that he was bringing. They just simply didn't want to hear it, didn't want to believe it, and therefore they persecuted the one who brought it. And it ends chapter 38 with verse 28 where it says, So Jeremiah abode in the court of the prison until the day that Jerusalem was taken. And he was there when Jerusalem was taken. So shutting him up in prison, trying to shut his mouth, didn't change anything. It was coming regardless. God had said it would. God's word is sure. And no matter what they did to the messenger, Had they even been allowed to kill him, it still would have happened. However, God was not done with Jeremiah yet. He still had work to do, so he was protected and preserved through that time. 
So let's pick it up then in chapter 39, continuing the story. In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army against Jerusalem, and they besieged it. And in the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, the ninth day of the month, the city was broken up. So approximately an 18-month siege. They came against the walls. They were there for 18 months. Everyone inside the city, I'm sure, was scared half to death. Uh, supplies dwindled over that period of time. Uh, cities had walls and were defensed for protection. People tended to farm outside the city. They would come in at night for protection. And they had a certain amount of stores laid up to protect them in time of siege. But in a long siege, your money, uh, your uh, food goes away. Your water begins to go away. And you become more and more fearful, living under the idea day after day after day, that today might be the day they break the walls down or come over the walls and kill you. That's quite a bit of pressure to live under, isn't it? As it builds and builds and builds, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of worry, a lot of fear, concern about wives, husbands, especially the children, perhaps. What will happen to my children? Will they kill me? Will they take them captive? Will they put them to the sword? What will they do with my children? It was a very fearful time. And I say that because the day that it was taken, the ninth day of the fourth month, is the day that was set aside as the fast of the fourth month. It's hard to grasp how frustrating the time was that led up to the destruction of the wall and the invasion of the city when they were taken captive. Very, very traumatic time in their eyes and in their lives. The anticipation finally came to fruition, and it was not a good thing. The other point I want to make here at the beginning is the prophet was right. All the things that he had said would happen, happened. didn't matter what they thought, what they did, God was right on time. God did what he said he would do. And that is true of God, whether it is cursing or blessing. Whichever he says will happen, will happen. And the only wild card in there is who it happens to. Blessing or cursing. And we have a choice as to which we will go through. Blessing or cursing. He said, therefore, why will you die but choose life, O Israel? You have a choice to make. We heard in the sermonette about denying ourselves. We're in an age of instant gratification. We want to be made happy now. Whatever we want, we want it now. And yet, all the Bible is about denying human appetites, denying human desires that are illegal or wrong desires. Now, we can enjoy the things that God has made for us to enjoy and have no fear or conscience or have to deny ourselves in some respects, depending on what God wants done at the moment. So sometimes even 
things that would be good under normal circumstances and that we wouldn't have to deny ourselves. We have to not deny because of prophecies, of things that God says will happen, and what needs to be done in order to circumvent the evil that is coming. So sometimes it's a sacrifice that is required only of us, not of the rest of the world. They can still enjoy some things that are okay. We can never enjoy the things that are not okay. But sometimes we have to deny ourselves things that might even under normal circumstances be okay for us. Like leaving fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, homes, lands, and so on. It isn't normally wrong to have a home, to have land, to have family about, certain jobs. But there comes a time when God is doing something, when he might want us to do something different, and then we have to sacrifice and deny that, which would be termed normally our right. Because God is doing something specific. So on the fourth day, the, uh, the fourth month, the ninth day, the city was broken up. The reference there is Zechariah 8.19. Uh, this is the fast that Zechariah 8 is talking about. Very sad time in the lives of those Jews and Israelites who might have remained. So they went into captivity. All the princes of the kings of Babylon came in and names them with all the residue of the princes of the king of Babylon. Verse 3. And it came to pass, verse 4, that when Zedekiah, the king of Judah, saw them, and all the men of war, then they fled. Now, Zedekiah tried to deny that this would ever happen, and had taken Jeremiah to task. But then it did happen, and Zedekiah probably had to go through his mind all those things that Jeremiah had said about him, how he would be taken to Babylon. And he would meet Nebuchadnezzar face to face, eyeball to eyeball. So you remember Jeremiah's words. He saw the walls going. He fled. The captain left the ship and went forth out of the city by night, by the way of the king's garden, by the gate betwixt the two walls, and he went out the way of the play. There's a brave king for you. Stood with his people, didn't he? No, I'm out of here, he said. And he was gone. However, Jeremiah had said he would go into captivity, didn't he? But the Chaldeans' army pursued after them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho, east of Jerusalem away, not too far, 30, 40 miles as I recall, driving across there. When they had taken him, they brought him to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to Riblah in the land of Hamath, where he gave judgment upon him. So, Jeremiah's words were true right down to each word. Eyeball to eyeball. Then the king of Babylon slew the sons of Zedekiah and Riblah before his eyes. Also, he, uh, also the king of Babylon slew all the nobles of Judah. So Zedekiah lived to see all his sons chopped and hacked to pieces right before his very eyes, and all the rulers and leaders that had worked under him in Jerusalem, were also hacked down in front of him. And then what happened? Moreover, he put out Zedekiah's eyes. How would you like to live 
was the last thing you saw your children being hacked to pieces and then someone stuck a hot poker in your eye sockets and you never saw another thing. And he bound him with chains to carry him to Babylon. Very morbid thing to have to remember, plus it also rendered Zedekiah unable to ever do anything about it. No vengeance, no revenge, because from then on he would grope to find the wall. Couldn't see. You can deny prophecy, but it's going to happen. And the Chaldeans burned the king's house and the houses of the people with fire and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Now, need I remind that the walls of the church have been broken down, they've been breached, the church people have been taken into captivity, spiritually speaking, put to the sword, many have died spiritually, many are sick spiritually, many are in captivity spiritually. That's where we are, and it's about to happen to our nation, just as it happened to those Jews. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive into Babylon the remnant of the people that remained in the city, and those that fell away that fell to him with the rest of the people that remained. So they took the majority of the people into Babylon into captivity. But Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left of the poor of the people, which had nothing in the land of Judah, and gave them vineyards and fields at the same time. So he left the seed there. Probably the thinking was, let's leave some people here, and then we can tax them. I mean, the ground is going to continue to produce. The fruit trees are going to produce. So let's leave some people there to raise them. They're still our slaves, basically. They're still our people. We'll still rule over them but we'll be able to get money from them. That's the way kings think. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave charge concerning Jeremiah to Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, saying, Take him, and look well to him, and do him no harm, but do to him even as he shall say to you. Now, that's interesting. How did Nebuchadnezzar know about Jeremiah? Perhaps they had spies in the land, and maybe it had been reported to Nebuchadnezzar that there was one Jeremiah saying that Babylon would be taken captive. I mean, not Babylon, uh, Jerusalem, excuse me, would be taken captive. But here was a guy preaching that he, Nebuchadnezzar, would take over. Now, Nebuchadnezzar probably could get some rush of vanity out of that, so that when they did take the city, he says, uh, separate out that fellow Jeremiah. Do whatever he wants. Take care of him. He's a good egg. See, he had a totally different view of Jeremiah than did the king of Judah. Because the prophecy was not against the king of Babylon at that time. It was against the king of Judah. Now, that story will change shortly. Let's live on and read on. And we'll see that. Not this week, but soon. Verse 13. So Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, sent these fellows and all the kings of Babylon's princes. Even they sent and took Jeremiah out of the court of the prison and committed him to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, that he should carry him home 
So he dwelt among the people. Now, Jeremiah had been telling the Jews, you go into Babylon. You're going into a 70-year captivity. Don't fight it. Don't stay here. Go on to Babylon and take your medicine. In other words, this captivity was a punishment upon the Jews. And it's something he said, do not deny it, accept it, go do it. Live there, serve the king of Babylon 70 years, and then there will be a time of release. Just as we have been, in that sense, in the captivity of Babylon now for 70 years, and we are about to be released from that. If we haven't already partially been, it will become a complete release very soon. So they turned him over to Gedaliah, and he dwelt among the people. Now, why, after preaching for them to go to Babylon, did he choose to stay there? Well, Jeremiah was obeying God. Jeremiah was doing what God wanted done. Jeremiah didn't need the punishment of going into captivity. He was allowed to stay home. Now, part of the reason for that, I'm sure, we will read it shortly, is that God wasn't done with Jeremiah yet. He has some prophesying left yet to do. And he had to be in Jerusalem, or the environs thereof, in order to speak to the people that God wanted him to deliver a further message to, the ones who had been left behind. Just as, in this modern end time, there are people that are going to go into captivity, and there are going to be some left behind. And there is a, has to be a message to those left behind as well. So they carried him home, and he dwelt among the people. Now the word of the eternal came to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the prison. So before the breaching of the walls and the destruction of the city. Go and speak to Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, the Ethiopian, the Ethiopian saying, Thus says the eternal host, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring my words upon this city for evil and not for good, and they shall be accomplished in that day before you. Jeremiah was to witness these prophecies coming to pass. But I will, oh, he was talking to the Ethiopian. This is the message to go before him. The Ethiopian would see it come to pass. But I will deliver you in that day, says the Eternal, and you shall not be given into the hand of the men of whom you are afraid. Uh, for I will surely deliver you, and you shall not fall by the sword, but your life shall be for a prey to you, because you have put your trust in me, says the Eternal. So here was a man who was not a Jew. He was an Ethiopian. But what had he done? If you go back to chapter 38, uh, starting in verse 8, he is the one who delivered Jeremiah out of the dungeon. So he's going to die in there. Save him. Take care of him. Well, God remembered that. When you do good to those whom God favors or wants good, good done to, God will remember it. So even in all this destruction, God took time, it took Jeremiah's time to go to this man and say, you are going to live. The people you fear will not kill you. God takes care of all the details. The hairs of our head are counted. Not a sparrow falls to the ground that God doesn't know. He's very concerned. 
And I think that this is a beautiful example of someone who was really unimportant in the larger scheme of things in a way, and yet because he showed grace and favor, like this Good Samaritan story, same kind of a thing, who took care of someone in, in pain and about to die. And God remembered it. You can't go wrong trusting God and doing the things he says. Take care of the stranger. Take care of the enemy. Love your enemies. Do good to those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Because God is watching. He knows. He has, within his power, the ability to do anything for you that he so chooses. He can deliver you, no matter what the circumstance. So chapter 40, the word that came to Jeremiah from the eternal after Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had left him to go from, from Ramah, when he had taken him being bound in chains among all that were carried away captive of Jerusalem and Judah, which were carried away captive unto Babylon. So they put him in chains, and he thought, I guess I'm going to Babylon too. It didn't work out that way. The captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said to him, The eternal your God has pronounced this evil upon this place. So you were right all along. I can see what you were preaching was correct, and your God intended this people to go into captivity. God intends Israel today to go into captivity. And from what I read, it doesn't look like it's too far off. Now the Eternal has brought it and done according as he has said, because you have sinned against the Eternal and have not obeyed his voice. Therefore this thing has come upon you, to the nation, not to Jeremiah. And now behold, I loose you this day from the chains which were upon your hand. If it seemed good to you to come with me to Babylon, come, and I will look well to you. But if it seemed ill to you to come with me to Babylon, then don't. Behold, all the land is before you. Where it seems good and convenient for you to go, there go. Jeremy said, I think I'll go home. <laughs> I think I'll stay right here. Now, while he was not yet gone back, he said, Go back also to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon has made governor over the cities of Judah, and dwell with him among the people, or go wherever it seems convenient to you to go. So they had appointed Gedaliah to be the governor of the Jews who were left behind. Might be a good idea to go to him. He might need your help and guidance. Uh, On the other hand, you're a free man. Do what you choose. Verse 6. Then went Jeremiah to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, to Mizpah, and dwelt with him among the people that were left in the land. He thought that was a good idea. Uh, Gedaliah was the ruler, the leader. Uh, Maybe he should be around him. Now, when all the captains of the forces which were in the fields, even they and their men, heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah the son of Ahikam governor in the land, and had committed to him men and women and children, and of the poor of the land, of them that were not carried away captive to Babylon, then came to Gedaliah to Mizpah, even Ishmael the son of Nathaniah, and Johanan, and Jonathan the sons of Kareah, and Sariah the son of Tanhumeth, and the sons of Ephi the Nehapathite, and Jezaniah, the son of a mountain, my Akathite, they and their men. And Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, swore to them and to their men, saying, Fear not to serve the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. So Gedaliah comforted them, told them everything would be all right. As for me, behold, I will dwell at Mizpah to serve the Chaldeans, which will come to us. 
But you, gather you wine and summer fruits and oil, and put them in your vessels, and dwell in your cities that you have taken. There will be a remnant left behind when Israel goes into captivity this time. And speaking specifically of the remnant of the church, I would refer us back to Isaiah 54 and 55, where it talks about great blessing being there and productivity for those who are faithful but are left behind. Verse 11, Likewise, when all the Jews that were in Moab and among the Ammonites and in Edom, and that were in all the countries, heard that the king of Babylon had left a remnant of Judah, and that he had sent over them Gedaliah, even all the Jews returned out of all places, whether they were driven. They had been afraid. They had gone into Jordan. They had gone into different places. They came back to Gedaliah, under Mizpah, and gathered wine and summer fruits very much. Weren't very many people left, and all those trees and crops were there, and they had a big harvest. Moreover, Johanan, the son of Kariath, and all the kings of the forces who were in the fields came to Gedaliah and said to him, Do you certainly know that Babalus, the king of the Ammonites, has sent Ishmael, the son of Nathaniah, to slay you? But Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, believed them not. Someone came and said, There's an Ishmaelite coming to kill you. Nah. No, he wouldn't do that. I know him. I was just reading, I think it was last night, a report about Israel in which Jewish and Arab families lived next door to each other. Their children play together. They know each other well. They have each other over for dinner. They live together as if they're the fastest of friends, even like relatives. And then when Hamas or whoever the terrorist of the moment happens to be says, rise up and kill Jews, there have been instances where they have killed the whole family of Jews who live next door, who have lived together and played together as friends. Kill their children as well played with their children. We're entering a time where you can trust no man. Did not Jesus say, we'll be betrayed of our own kin, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, will betray us to the death. Can't trust anyone in these times. See, when it gets right down to it, a human being puts me first. A human being protects self. The desire to live is the strongest desire that humans have. So, me first will be the order of the day. And people, if you would not believe, will turn you in. If they think that they might receive favor for so doing. Yet Eliah just didn't believe that. Gedaliah believed them not. Verse 15, Then Johanan, the son of Korea, spoke to Gedaliah and this was secretly saying, Let me go, I pray you. I will slay Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and no man shall know it. Hey, he's made a death threat on you. I'll take care of it. Wherefore should he slay you, that all the Jews which are gathered to you should be scattered in the remnant of Judah perish? Why should everybody die? 
But Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, said to Jehonan, the son of Kareah, You shall not do this thing, or you speak falsely of Ishmael. Ishmael wouldn't do that. I know him. He may not be a Jew, but I know him. He just wouldn't do that. Okay? Now, it came to pass in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, of the royal seed and the princes of the king, even ten men with him, came to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, to Mizpah, and there they did eat bread together in Mizpah. And I'm sure that Gedaliah was sitting there saying, hey, you know, I was right all along. We're sitting down, we're having a fine meal together. Everything is hunky-dory. Then rose Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and the ten men that were with him, and smote Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Japan, with the sword, and slew him whom the king of Babylon had made governor over the land. Famous last words. This is a nice guy. We're going to sit down and have a meal. Well, they all got full. At least he died with his tummy full. What can you say? Ishmael also slew all the Jews that were with him, even with Gedaliah and Mizpah and the Chaldeans that were found there and the men of war. That is another of the fasts of the months. It was the day that the leader of the Jews was killed. Sad day for that remnant of people left behind. And it came to pass the second day after he had slain Gedaliah, no man knew it. The word, they didn't have television. They didn't have instant uh, communication as we do today. The second day after Gedaliah had died, that there came certain from Shechem, from Shiloh, and from Samaria, uh, northern area where Israel had been, even fourscore men, eighty men, came down having their beards shaved and their clothes rent and having cut themselves with offerings and incense in their hand to bring them to the house of the Eternal. They were saddened. They were alarmed. They were frustrated by the captivity that had come. So they came down to the house of God to talk about it. These men were apparently coming to worship God. And Ishmael, the son of Methaniah, went forth from Mizpah to meet them. Weeping all along as he went, crying great big crocodile tears. Oh my, the terrible things that have happened. Putting on a big show. As he met them, he said to them, Come to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam. And it was so, Gedaliah was dead. But he said, Come on, let's go see Gedaliah. And it was so, when they came into the midst of the city, that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, slew them and cast them into the midst of the pit. He and the men, they were with him. Treachery knows no bounds. The ten men were found among them that said to Ishmael, Slay us not, for we have treasures in the field of wheat and of barley and of oil and of honey. So they bribed him, in other words. So he forbear and slew them not among their brethren. So he killed seventy and threw them in the pit. And these ten said, We'll give you great treasures. We have it. It's yours. Don't slay us. Now the pit wherein Ishmael had cast all the dead bodies of the men whom he had slain because of Gedaliah was it which Asa the king had made for fear of Baasha, king of Israel. And Ishmael the son of Bethaniah filled it with them that were slain. You can't trust your Arab neighbors. You probably should sell your ports to them, but, you know, don't really trust them. They wouldn't do anything bad to us. 
Come on, you're fighting a worldwide war on terrorism and then you let people buy your ports who are of the enemy? Now, they'll tell you they're not. Mathaniah made himself out to be a friend. But people's religion runs deeper than any promises they might make. Verse 10, Then Ishmael carried away captive all the residue of the people that were in Mizpah, even the king's daughters, and all the people that remained in Mizpah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the, um, no, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, had committed to Gedaliah, and carried them away captive and departed to go over to the Ammonites. So, even those that were left behind had a sword come after them. Doesn't that read like Ezekiel 5, where he took out a third, a third, and a third, and then he took out a few more and threw them into the fire? Because a sword would come after them. But when Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces that were with him heard of all the evil that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, had done, then they took all the men and went to fight with Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and found him by the great waters that are in Gibeah. It came to pass, and all the people which were with Ishmael saw Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces that were with him, then they were glad. Hey, here comes help. So all the people that Ishmael had carried away captive from Mizpah cast about and returned and went to Johanan, the son of Korea. But Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, escaped from Johanan with eight men and went to the Ammonites. So the bad guy got away. Then took Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces that were with him, all the remnant of the people, whom he had recovered from Ishmael, uh, after that he had slain Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam even mighty men of war, and the women and the children and the eunuchs whom he had brought again from Gibeah. You get to kind of have your family washed back and forth here, isn't it? You have the terror for Babylon, and you have the terror for Mishmael, and you go into captivity to that. Some are killed, some are taken captive, and they're released. Pretty troublesome time. Great turmoil in their lives. That's coming here in America. This kind of turmoil. They departed and dwelt in the habitation of Chimham, which is by Bethlehem, to go to enter into Egypt. Bethlehem is only a few miles from Jerusalem, but it's south toward Egypt. And that becomes important in a moment. Because of the Chaldeans, for they were afraid of them, because Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, had slain Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, whom the king of Babylon made governor in the land. So these people were living in fear, put simply. And all the captains of the forces, and Johanan the son of Korea, and Jezaniah the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least even to the greatest came near. What's the answer? What's the word of God? What's going to happen next? Well, Jeremiah's stock had been very, very low, but now they had seen all the prophecies that he had made come to pass. So now what are they going to do? They're going to gather and say, Jeremiah, what's next? They said to Jeremiah the prophet, Let we beseech you, our supplication be accepted before you, and pray for us and to determine your God, even for all this remnant, for we are left but a few of many, as your eyes do behold us. There's going to be a small remnant left of our nation, a small remnant left of the church, 
And then that remnant will have to be dealt with as well. We aren't many. You see that. That the eternal your God may show us the way wherein we may walk and the thing that we may do. Now, isn't that a fine attitude? Come to Jeremiah, the man of God, and say, what should we do? How should we act now? What will happen to us? Pray to God. Give us the word of God. We will do it. Do you think that there are people in the church today who would hear prophecies of what would happen, see some of it beginning to happen or happen, and then say, oh man, that's scary, and then go to the ones who have preached it and ask them, what's next? We will do whatever you say, whatever God wants, we will do it. Can you imagine that there would be people who would have that attitude? I can Begin to see things happen and say, man, I think we want to do what's right. Then Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray to the eternal your God according to your words. The things that you have brought to me, I will take to God. I'll lay them before him. And it shall come to pass that whatsoever thing the eternal shall answer you, I will declare it to you. I will keep nothing back from you. The whole truth, nothing but the truth, even if it's bad, I'll tell you. You've asked me, you want to know what God has to say, I'll tell you. Then they said to Jeremiah, their words, the Lord be a true and faithful witness between us. So they swore on God. If we do not even according to all things for which the, eternal, which the eternal your God shall send you to us. All things. We won't deny any of it. We'll do it all. Every last word, Jeremiah, that you say. Whether it be good or whether it be evil, from their standpoint, whether it look good or bad. We will obey the voice of the eternal our God to whom we send you that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the eternal our God. Sounds like a pretty good attitude, doesn't it? And it came to pass after ten days that the word of the eternal came to Jeremiah. Didn't get an immediate answer. Even Jeremiah. He took this plea to God. <laughs> ten days later, God answered. <laughs> then called he Johanan the son of Korea and all the captains of the forces which were with him, and all the people from the least even to the greatest, got them all assembled to hear this. And said to them, Thus says the Eternal, the God of Israel, and to whom you sent me to present your supplication before him. Now let's stop right there. Maybe you haven't read ahead. Maybe you have. What do you think God would tell these people? They've come and petitioned him, and petitioned Jeremiah, saying, Anything God says, or us, we'll do it, down to the very last word. doesn't matter whether we like it, don't like it, agree or disagree, we will do every word. Now, how would God respond to that? Think about God for a moment. How would he respond to that attitude? Well, 
All right, here are the words. If you will, verse 10, if you will still abide in this land, you'll stay right here. You've been left behind by Nebuchadnezzar. You've been delivered from Ishmael. If you'll stay right here in this land. Now, what could be more welcome news than stay home? Can you think of a better deal? Just stay home. Then will I build you and not pull you down, and I will plant you and not pluck you up, for I relent me of the evil that I have done to you. I'm sorry I had to do it. If you'll stay right here, follow these words, don't leave, I'll take care of you and build you up and I won't knock you down. I'd go for a deal like that, wouldn't you? Man, that sounds like a good deal to me. Spoken by God through Jeremiah. <clears throat> he says, be not afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. So you're afraid of him? Don't anymore. He went on back to Babylon. He took all those brothers and sisters of yours with him. He's not going to bother you anymore if you'll just stay right here. Don't have to worry about it. Be not afraid of him, says the Eternal, for I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hands. Now, is that what you'd want to hear from the county commissioner or the president or the U.N. or God? I'll take care of you. This is the being who created the entire universe, the stars, the world, fashioned Adam and Eve with his own hands, put them in the Garden of Eden, and gave them blessing beyond any that anyone has experienced since. This is God speaking, see? You don't have to worry. I'll take care of you. How many people today, and how many people from Adam to today, have been willing to walk by faith? Their health, their wealth, their well-being, everything about their lives willing to put in the hands of God. I wonder how many there have been. Out of, what, 60 billion people, perhaps, that have lived on the face of the earth since Adam? A very small handful have been willing to take God's word, believe it, and follow it. Today marks the day when the Earth's population reaches 6.5 billion. We've said 6 billion now for some years, now it's 6.5. How many would entrust their lives to Almighty God out of the 6.5 billion drawing breath this very day? How many in the churches of God, or should I say just the church of God and its many divisions, how many today in the church of God are willing to entrust their entire lives and walk by faith with Almighty God? How many? A very, very pitiful minority or fraction of those who were in the church warming chairs and are today. Not very many. I am with you to save you, to deliver you from his hands. And I will show mercies to you that, you may have mer that he may have mercy upon you and cause you to return to your own land. 
Boy, that should have been good news. So they said, we'll do it. Whatever God says, good or evil, we'll do it. And all they're hearing is good. Right? Haven't heard a bad word yet, have you? All good story. But, there's always a but in there. But, if you say, we will not dwell in this land, neither obey the voice of the eternal your God, saying, no, but we will go into the land of Egypt, where we shall see no war, nor hear the sound of the trumpet, nor have hunger of bread, and there will we dwell. If you say that, and now therefore hear the word of the Eternal, you remnant of Judah, thus says the Eternal of hosts, the God of Israel, if you wholly set your faces to enter into Egypt and go to sojourn there, then it shall come to pass that the sword which you feared shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt, and in the famine whereof you were afraid shall follow close after you there in, the e- there in Egypt, and there you shall die. Now, God gives them options which they could make a choice from. Stay here, and I will protect you. Go to Egypt for protection, and I will send the sword and have you killed. Now, who among us would choose to go to Egypt instead of to God? Isn't that a no-brainer? Let me see the hands of you who would say, I don't think God can protect me, I'm going to Egypt. No one. We'll do what God says. <laughs> yeah, hold his hand up for it. Nobody's going to do it voluntarily. Which would you choose? What if God said, Come out of her, my people. Be not partakers of her sins or her plagues. I will protect you and take care of you. Don't worry about it. Separate from Babylon. And how many would fear that? How many would go to Egypt, which represents sin in our lives? This society, this culture, this world, living under the auspices of Satan the devil, represents sin. And Egypt has been a type of that since Israel came out of Egypt, across the Red Sea. Going back to Egypt is always a sign of disobedience to God. Going back to this world is a sign of disobedience to God. How many walk by faith? The just shall walk by faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. If we are not willing to walk by faith rather than sight, we cannot please God. It doesn't matter what the circumstance is. It doesn't matter whether it's physical, spiritual, whatever it might be. Our health, our wealth, our well-being, our families, our children. Are we willing to do what God says and trust Him in every area of life, or are we not? That is the test which God is putting the church to today. Will we walk by faith? or by sight.
If we are afraid that God will not take care of us, will we seek other ways to solve our problems? I think we need to consider that in terms of planning and zoning here as a community right now. You see, walking by faith should be a part of, of, or should be central to every part of our lives. The just shall live by faith. And if we intend to please God, which I'm sure we are all here to do, we have to walk by faith. Walking by sight has never worked. Whether it was fear of Egyptians fear of Babylonians, fear of Assyrians, whatever the fear of the moment, it is always upon us to walk in fear of God, not man. Bottom line. So God had laid this before them. And I'm sure being true, godly people, Jews of the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Listening to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I am confident that as we go on here, they will choose life and peace in their own land and their own home rather than running off to this world for protection. Aren't you? Isn't that the desired response? The only obvious response? Of course. Trusting in God is wonderful until problems arise. Believing in God is great until problems arise. Verse 17. You'll die there, and so shall it be with all the men that set their faces to go to Egypt to sojourn there. They shall die by the sword, by the famine, by the pestilence, and none of them shall remain or escape from the evil that I will bring upon them. Utter devastation. Now, not every individual, that is mentioned a little later on, but overall, the vast majority of them would die there if they did that. Pretty, pretty strong warning, isn't it? You go to Egypt for protection, I'll send the sword, and I will kill you there. You'd think that would scare people and say, man, I'm not going to Egypt. For thus says the eternal host the God of Israel, as my anger and my fury has been poured upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you just witnessed that, you heard Jeremiah all those years say it was going to happen, you didn't believe him, you didn't turn to God or to me, he said, and you just witnessed the siege of Jerusalem and all these people killed as a result of what Jeremiah said. Now you've talked to Jeremiah, you've told him to beseech me, and you will do anything Jeremiah tells you. So shall my fury, just as it fell on Jerusalem, be poured forth upon you when you shall enter into Egypt, and you shall be an execration and an astonishment and a curse and a reproach, and you shall see this place no more. The green, green grass of home will never show up again in your lives. The Eternal has said concerning you, O you remnant of Judah, 
go you not into Egypt. Know certainly that I have admonished you this day. There can be no denying. It's been said. For you dissembled in your hearts when you sent me to the Lord your God, saying, Pray for us of the eternal our God, and according to all that the Lord our God shall say, so declare to us, and we will do it. What does Christ say? A house divided against itself cannot stand. No man can serve two masters. Or why do you sit on the fence? God reads the heart. And Jeremiah could see that they were fence-sitters. They wanted to hear. Uh, they wanted to reserve judgment. No man can serve two masters. Now, God will make that plain before the end of this age has occurred. And he will know. He will know which master we serve. There will be no doubt left. If you expect to rise from the air in the first resurrection, then you cannot have a heart that dissembles. You cannot be double-hearted, double-minded. You must be willing to walk in God's way and trust God to take care of you no matter how dangerous it may seem. Poisonous snakes, poison, or anything. Armies, nuclear bombs, you won't worry. Now God says if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in much. So we say, we'll go out there, we'll trust in God to take care of us, so that we won't die in this holocaust that is about to come. But then, in the meantime, we have this, 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 and this that we enjoy, or is close to our heart, or that we disagree about, and we won't walk by faith in that. So, these seeming little things that we are not yet willing to do will be what does us in. Because unless you are faithful in the little, you will not be faithful in the big. If you are faithful in the little things, then God says you will be faithful in the big things. So, the way we live our lives right now, today, day by day, will determine whether we walk by faith when the really biggies come. That is how God determines it. And it is how our psyches, our minds, our emotions are channeled and or twisted. Is by what we do in the little things. If you think for a moment, you can let this, 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 and this go, but when the big things come, you'll be on the firing line front and center. You've got another thing coming. That's the bottom line from God's Word. If you wonder, if you have the strength or will have the strength, the faith, to face what is before us, you can answer it yourself. The answer is easy. 
It depends on what you're doing day by day. What do you trust God in? What do you not trust God in? When do you make choices of the world, around the world? When do you go to God? He doesn't always make it easy, brethren. He makes it difficult. Much tribulation, much persecution, much difficulty. But the reason he does that is so that we might learn to make correct choices in the smaller things so that we are prepared. We have been walking by faith, so continuing to do that is natural. But when you have not been walking by faith and you've been looking to other solutions, then comes the big test of faith, and what do you do? You take a dive. You're not prepared through daily life to handle it, and therefore you won't handle it. It's that simple. It's cause and effect. Christ was able to say that with all conviction. If you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. But you dissembled in your hearts when you sent me to the eternal your God, saying, Pray for us to the eternal our God, and according to all that the eternal our God shall say, so declare to us, and we will do it. And now I have this day declared it to you. All right? I did as you asked. I went, talked to God. I waited ten days. He gave me the answer. I came back. I've delivered it to you. You've heard it. You're without excuse. You're hearing a lot here that you may not hear in other places. And what you are hearing, you're without excuse about I declared it to you, but you have not obeyed the voice of the eternal your God, nor anything for which he has sent me to you. You said you'd do it, but you won't. Now, therefore, know certainly that you shall die by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence in the place where you desire to go and to sojourn. He could read their thoughts. They hadn't gone to Egypt yet, but he could see how they were leaning. He could see the indecision in their faces, in their words, in their eyes. But they would not do what God said. Just would not do it. And it came to pass, when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking to all the people, all the words of the eternal their God, for which the eternal their God had sent him to them, even all these words... Then spoke Azariah the son of Hoshea and Johanan the son of Korea, and all the proud men saying to Jeremiah, You speak falsely. <laughs> there was their response. You're lying to us. Tell us the truth. Now what could have been better? Stay here, live here, I'll take care of you. Go to Egypt and you'll die. They didn't want to stay there. They were afraid of Nebuchadnezzar. They were afraid of the Ammonites. They felt that there would be safe haven in Egypt. So they accused him of lying. The eternal our God has not sent you to say, go not into Egypt to sojourn there. Now I've read a lot of scriptures and I've preached, come out of Babylon. Physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. A lot of people don't believe that. They don't believe that. But I think God commissioned me to say it. 
who will believe and who will not. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, sets you on set you on against us or deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans that they might put us to death and carry us away captive to Babylon. You're part of the conspiracy, Jeremiah. You're telling us the wrong thing. So Johanan the son of Kareah and all the captains of the forces and all the people obeyed not the voice of the Eternal to dwell in the land of Judah. They started packing their bags. We cannot trust God, was the bottom line. We will not walk by faith in God. We think the Egyptians can do better. How easy it is to forget history. These were blood Jews. These were Israelites who had come out of Egypt and their, their ancestors had seen the waters part and seen the waters come together and kill the Egyptians. They talk about it a lot in their history. The Jews do to this day about how God delivered them from Egypt. And the first sign of fear, where do they go? To Egypt. We have been a part of this nation, of this people. We've come to trust in the American government. We've come to a trust in the American way in this land. And we have trouble not trusting it. Even when we see our government knuckling under to the new world order and betraying us on every hand, and it's coming right out in the open now, we still have trouble obeying God and separating ourselves from the society that we're in. Human nature has not changed at all. Verse 5, But Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces, took all the remnant of Judah that were returned from all nations. See, they, they thought the fear was gone. They returned to their land. And God says, Just stay right here. I'll take care of you. And they looked around and got scared again. Even men and women and children and the king's daughters and every person that Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah the prophet, and Baruch, the son of Neriah. So they came into the land of Egypt, where they obeyed not the voice of the Eternal. Thus came they even to Toponies. Then came the word of the Eternal to Jeremiah and Toponies, saying, Now see, Jeremiah also went to Egypt. But he didn't go there for fear and for disobedience. He went there because he was to see through the prophecy that had been laid on them. He wasn't going to stay in Judah and send them down there and let them be on their own. He was he intended to be a burr under their saddle until the day they died. He would not go away. They hated him. They despised him. They called him a liar. And he went down there with them. He had a job to do. Prophecy had to be seen through. It had to be finished. So the word came to Jeremiah in Tapanese of Egypt, saying, Take great stones in your hand and hide them in the clay in the brick kiln, which is at the entry of Pharaoh's house in Tapanese, in the sight of the men of Judah. So you take big rocks, cover them with clay, and put them in the oven. 
Interesting, isn't it? And say to them, Thus says the eternal of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will send and take Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will set his throne upon these stones that I have hid. And he shall spread his royal pavilion over them. So God had him act this out. Take these stones, cover them with clay, bake them, I guess set them somewhere. Nebuchadnezzar is going to come right here into Egypt and set his throne on these stones. Now, why had they left Jerusalem in the first place? For fear of Nebuchadnezzar. So God says, isn't there another place that says, that which you have feared has come upon you? See, they thought Egypt was safe from Nebuchadnezzar. Do you think America is safe from who? And yet God has told us not to leave our land, but to depart from the cities and go dwell in the field. Vulnerable. But he said he'll take care of us if we'll obey and be humble and meek and righteous. He always has that caveat in there. Verse 11, And when he comes, he shall smite the land of Egypt and deliver such as are for death to death, and such as are for captivity to captivity, and such as are for the sword to the sword. Third, a third, and a third. And I will kindle a fire in the houses of the gods of Egypt, and he shall burn them, and carry them away captives, and he shall array himself with the land of Egypt as a shepherd puts on his garments, and he shall go forth from there in peace. He shall break also the image of Bethshemesh that is in the land of Egypt, and the houses of the gods of the Egyptians shall he burn with fire. You know, there's no place we can go on this earth that is going to be safe. Some people have decided that America is Babylon, and they must get out of it. And they go someplace that is safe. I asked, pray tell, where would be safe? They will all worship the image of the beast. All, except the true church, whom God sets aside and protects. There is no place on this earth, represented by the sin of Egypt, that will be saved. Some go to Africa, some go to South America, some go to Europe. Where's the safe place? Go to South America and it's 90% Catholic. There's a big help. Frying pan into the fire. Where can you go? The answer to that is you better turn to God. And you better do what God says. You better not stay where you are if God says go somewhere else. And you better not go somewhere else if God says stay where you are. Now, what does God say? Better get his word out and find out what he says. Then you can determine whether you should go or stay. And when you see what God says, you better do one or the other. You better not let any of his words escape you. God is not happy with those who say, sure, I'll obey and don't. Didn't Christ give a parable about two sons? One said, yes, Father, I'll do what you say. The other said, no, I won't. And the one who said, I will, didn't. 
And the one who said, I won't, had a change of heart and did. Now, which one will the Father bless? We in the church have said, yes, I will. How many will say, no, I won't? You read the words of God to them, no, I won't. How many said, no, I won't, and then repents and do? You have to swallow your vanity to do that. You have to admit you're wrong to do that. That's hard. Mr. Armstrong often said, the hardest thing for a human being to do is admit he's wrong. Hard to do. But we're going to have to do it. We'll have to obey God in everything he says, otherwise we'll be in deep, deep trouble because he does not like it when somebody says they will and don't, and he likes it when they say, I won't, and they change their mind and do. These people didn't do that. They said they would, and they didn't. Why did God give, why did Christ give parables like that anyway? Had he not seen all this history from on high, came to this earth? He knew how people are. He could give those parables with absolute confidence. And he knew what the Father's reaction would be. He'd seen it over the millennium. You're going to kindle a fire in the houses of the gods of Egypt and burn them. Verse 13, he shall also break the images of Beth Shemesh, any foreign god, any idolatry, any god we put ahead of God. That is, in the land of Egypt, <clears throat> the houses of the gods of the Egyptians shall be burned with fire. Well, let's make a run at it. I've got 15 minutes, I guess. Chapter 44. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Jews which dwell in the land of Egypt, which dwell at Migdal and at Tapanes and at Noph and in the countries of Petros, say. So, they made the transition to Egypt. God said, you'll die there. All right, so then Jeremiah is there. God sends a word to them. Now that they are there. You can't get away from God, can you? You can run, but you can't hide. He knows. And he will do what he says he will do. Thus says the eternal of hosts, the God of Israel, you have seen all the evil that I have brought upon Jerusalem. Give them a brief history lesson, recent history for them. And upon all the cities of Judah, and behold, this day they are a desolation, and no man dwells therein. And we can look at the church, spiritual Judah today. All these things that we've been reading about the last ten years, have essentially happened and are still going on within the church. Because of their wickedness, which they have committed to provoke me to anger, and that they went to burn incense and to serve other gods, whom they knew not, neither they, you, nor your fathers. We select our own gods. They may not be named after Egyptian gods. Bethshemesh, who, who worships Bethshemesh? Nobody here. Doesn't matter, does it? What do you worship? You worship what you spend your time with, your energy with, and what you do. That's what you worship. If we're self-indulgent and don't deny ourselves, then idol is self. Self-made God. We have in our society a saying in business, he's a self-made man. 
Well, in religion, maybe we should call it a self-made God. Because we want everyone to serve us, to do for us, to take care of us. We don't want to deny ourselves. We don't want to sacrifice and present our bodies a living sacrifice. By nature, we're selfish and we want to serve self and have self feel good, look good, anything but be good. Is human nature. So this isn't just about ancient Israelites. This is the prophecy of Jeremiah the prophet to the end time church. In the latter days, you shall understand it, he said several times. Daniel said that. Isaiah said that. Different ways, but it's all about now is what it's about. So forget the crocodile gods of Egypt. It's the gods of modern America that we have a problem with. And the gods that we have made ourselves. Verse 4, Howbeit I sent to you all my servants the prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, Oh, do not this abominable thing that I hate. But how often does it fall on deaf ears? How long, O oh Lord, do we have to hear this? Well, maybe until we respond properly and worship God and serve Him with our whole heart. Not just emotion, but with the things that we do. You see, there are a lot of Protestants that think they love God with their whole heart. Lots and lots of them. It's emotion. But our lives cannot be ruled by emotion. They have to be ruled by every word of God, leaving none out. Emotion is good, but emotion is by no means everything. The words of God are what are important. So saying, I love Jesus, or I love the Lord, or I love Almighty God, means nothing if we don't do what he says, because it shows that we're a hypocrite and a liar. Don't do this abominable thing that I hate. But they hearken not, nor incline their ear to turn from their wickedness, to burn no incense to their own gods. Wherefore, my fury and my anger was poured forth, and it was kindled in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. They are wasted and desolate as at this day. And the church is too. And the nation is about to be, very soon now. Therefore now, thus says the eternal God of hosts, the God of Israel, Wherefore, commit you this great evil against your souls, to cut off from you man and woman, child and suckling, out of Judah, to leave you none to remain. Why do you do this? Why can't we obey God? We want to be a part of his remnant, a part of his tithe. Are we willing to obey him? Why do we commit this great evil against our own souls? And that you provoke me to wrath with the works of your hands, burning incense to other gods in the land of Egypt, where you be gone to dwell, that you might cut yourselves off, and that you might be a curse and a reproach among all the nations of the earth. We think we need materiality. We're... So hung up on money in our society today. We think money will solve the problems. You know what's going to happen to our money? Not going to have any. All it is is paper. And that paper is not going to be worth a crying dime pretty soon. It's a great financial crash prophesied in Scripture. Zephaniah 1 to start and other places. It says it will lean out like a wall in Isaiah and fall suddenly. It's going to happen. There are a lot of analysts 
in the world today who are saying it's going to happen beginning March 20th and through that week, March 26th. Are they right or are they wrong? I don't know. But the dynamics that they cite and the decisions that have been made by our government and other governments seem to indicate that it very well could be the beginning of the end. But it won't be a gradual decline, according to Scripture. When it does come, whether they're right about March or not, and they very well may be, when it comes, it's going to come suddenly. And all those dollars you coveted aren't going to be worth anything. You'll be cut off and be a curse and a reproach among all the nations of the earth. That's what America is headed for, to be a curse and a reproach to all nations. All nations. Verse 9, Have you forgotten the wickedness of your fathers and the wickedness of the kings of Judah and the wickedness of their wives and your own wickedness and the wickedness of your wives, which they have committed in the land of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? Americans honor sin. Sin is our entertainment. Lying, cheating, stealing, adultery, fornication, perversion, gay, you name it. Anything God condemns is what we put out on the airwaves, audio and video, for our people to enjoy as recreation. When will we ever learn? Oh, that was a good movie. You see that movie? No, not gonna either. In fact, I don't watch many anymore. I'm trying to be very, very selective what we'll watch. We've had to change, haven't we? Oh, they'll pass, they'll be past this scene a little bit. Why not just shut it off? Why go through that little bit? of idolatry and sin and being entertained by wickedness. God is not entertained by sin. He just not. He hates sin. He sees what sin has done from Adam and Eve down to today and the misery and the frustration, the death, the sickness and horror that sin has brought. And he hates it much as we might love it. But I'll tell you what, his opinion is the only one that counts. Yours or mine doesn't. He is going to put sin out of the earth. And everyone for a thousand years will walk in peace, safety, harmony, love, and all the things that we want to have while we cling to the things that we enjoy. They're all going to be done away with. And that scripture about seeing your teachers in Isaiah 30, 21, 30, or 30, 21, I might have transposed it, has to do with the end time church, not just the millennium. It starts now. Kind of hard, for instance, kind of hard to hide sin when you're living in a community of people that see almost everything you do. Isn't it? They can see you. 
They can see your attitudes. They can see your words. They can see your actions. You might hide in your house, but you can't hide, really. It shows. Whatever is going through your head eventually shows. It will come out. The things you say and the way you say things, it just will. Can't hide. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. We may not like it, but it's a good thing because it helps us do what we ought to do and not be hypocrites because we know to do right, but it's difficult to do it, isn't it? You don't want to live in the goldfish bowl. You better find some muddy water somewhere because we're in a goldfish bowl here. And you think it's enough just to be in one here among ourselves? There are people scattered all around the land that talk to people out here, and they are looking at you in this bowl through other people's eyes. Now, isn't that scary? Because how do people twist? How do people impute motives that may or may not be there about you when they talk to others elsewhere? They may not see you the way you see you. And horror of horrors, maybe they do see you the way you see you, but aren't doing anything about it. You know, if you look into an aquarium or a small goldfish bowl, and maybe there's 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 fish in there, and you see them swimming around and poking about and going down and eating and blowing bubbles up to the surface. We've all watched fish. And you see all those fish swimming around doing fish things. What if one of them has a bad fin and sort of swims on its side a little bit? How long does it take to see that? Doesn't take very long, does it? Your eye will pick up that abnormality very quickly. Hard to hide there. If there are flaws, their sins, their weaknesses, their attitudes. You can't hide them. People will see through those. They may not say anything to you. They may, they may not. But they can see it. I'm not trying to scare you about people. But if you think people have perception of attitudes, what about God? He knows every thought that goes through our heads. I remember praying a few days ago. I was talking to God, and I wasn't saying it audibly. I was just praying in my mind, thinking this prayer, which we often do. And it occurred to me that God could read and hear and know everything I was saying to him, and my lips were not moving. He could hear my prayer with no audible sound at all. And, of course, my next thought was, if he can read it when I'm praying, he can read it when I'm not praying. He can read it no matter what's going through there. That's scary. He can 
read the heart and the mind far better than human beings can. People, many feel that they are perceptive and they can know what you're thinking. And they impute motives. Sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. God is never wrong. He knows what we're thinking. And he judges and discerns the heart. If you think you can fool him, you're already fooling yourself. You can't do it. I bet I'm nearly into that tape, aren't I? They hearken not, burn sense to other gods. Verse 6, Wherefore my fury and anger was poured forth, and was kindled in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, there wasted and desolate as at this day. Therefore now thus says the eternal, the God of hosts, the God of Israel. Wherefore, why, did you commit this great evil against your souls? We're not sinning really, in that sense, against anybody else or God in one sense. We're sinning against ourselves. We're hurting ourselves, in other words. The sin may be ultimately against God, but the ones we're hurting in judgment and in blessing and cursing are ourselves. To cut off from you man and woman, child and suckling, out of Judah, to leave you none to remain. In that you provoke me to wrath with the works of your hands, burning incense to other gods in the land of Egypt, where you be gone to dwell, that you might cut yourselves off, and that you might be a curse and a reproach among all the nations of the earth. Why do you do this? Or as he said, anciently to Israel, in a historical period before that, why do you die, O Israel? Why? Do you die? Have you forgotten the wickedness of your fathers and the wickedness of the kings of Judah and the wickedness of their wives? And all the sins they've committed. That's where we got to. Verse 10. They are not humbled even to this day. Neither have they feared nor walked in my law nor in my statutes that I set before you and before your fathers. Why? Do we still act and live in vanity and pride, ego and self, instead of being humbled and walking God's ways? I think that's a good place to stop for today.